Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicoon. You are listening to episode 196 of the podcast, and this is the last episode of HodgePodge Halloween for this year. Uh, we are going to be covering 1987's The Monster Squad, directed by Fred Decker, and 1997's The Butcher Boy, directed by Neil Jordan. So, Frank, I'm going to take a wild guess and say this is about, like, uh, coming of age, childhood horror type stuff. Yeah, it's, um... It's your theme? Coming of age is, like, a really, like, I think, like, broad way to put it, but sure. Um, I was thinking more it's about, like, childhood imagination and mm. um, sort of, like, people that, like, kids that existed on the fringes of their society trying to fit in um i think butcher boy is a lot more horrific from like a human standpoint sure whereas um monster squad um is just more you know like on the surface fright night-esque like horror or whatever um i think that's probably the theme of the what do you call it? Halloween hodgepodge? Hodgepodge Halloween. Uh, yeah. Um, hodgepodge Halloween. Hodgepodge Halloween. <laughs> you can't say it really fast. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to say it again. <laughs> I guess until next year, maybe. Until next year, maybe. Maybe. Um, That's really been the theme of all of them, where one movie, I think, is like the obvious movie, and then the second movie is the, you know, how is it linked to this other movie kind of thing. Or maybe it's a more obscure title that I just kind of wanted to talk about that I never thought we would be able to. Mm-hmm. So, but Fair yeah. Enough. Um. So let's talk about Monster Squad first. Okay. Um. I think it's probably the easy, yeah, quick conversation. Mm-hmm. Um. Always like a childhood favorite of yours, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I love Monster yeah. Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, Monster Squad to me was the natural progression from like Saturday the Fourteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and has a lot like in common with something like the Goonies kind of, right? Um, and I feel probably um directorially there's some inspiration that's pulled there in terms of like the way the kids like talk and act and um so in the Monster Squad Dracula um is assembling like a hit squad of so okay I'm sorry let's. Let's give some backstory from the past. Um, Van Helsing at one point had the ability to destroy Dracula um, by having a virgin like read a spell that would have what is it like shatter his crystal of power or some shit, right? Um, some 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 nonsense, um, yeah. and then would have like banished Dracula forever. But they fucked it up, and so Dracula was only sealed away for a period of time. But they're able to take his source of power and hide it. Um, so they hid it in California. No, not California. Where where are they? Somewhere in America, it's hidden. Um, and Dracula is like re. 
Yeah, I can't. I I felt like it was California, but now I think it was usually not. it tells me like right away, like where maybe they never said in. Maybe they don't. I only probably wouldn't. They probably just want to be every town in USA, right? Like it kind of feels like Haddonfield in a way, like the way the town is set up and the way the streets look. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a more modern version of Haddonfield, kind of. Um, anyway, small town USA, right? So there's a group of monsters that Dracula is assembling. Um, it's the mummy, the wolfman, um, the most awkward wolfman in the history of film, by the way. Um, Played by John Cry, Jonathan Cry is like um, of uh, Uncle Rico. Um, yeah, that's right. Really get Shorty fame, yeah. Um, uh, shit. The creature from the Black Lagoon, the Frankenstein monster. Mm-hmm. Um, on the opposite end, there's this group of sort of nerdy, uh, preteen boys and the one boy's little sister who are obsessed with the Saturday matinee movie monsters. Um, but also obsessed with the idea of like the reality of monsters existing and fighting against them. And they're aided by. I poor man Corey Haim, I guess I'd call him like this, right. like this hipster kid on a bike with a leather jacket that um all the bullies are afraid of who um wants to be a part of the monster squad for some reason. Um, so the two camps come together. Here's one thing that I find really funny about watching the monster squad, and actually it made me really nostalgic for my childhood, but also just for movies like this. I in my my memory of this movie, there's all kinds of like really cool, like subtle clues that happen that tell the kids that there's like evil afoot that they have to like try and figure out. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking as a kid, like, oh man, that's like that's really clever. Like nobody would ever figure that out. And it's like the lead kid sees that what is it, Dr. Acula called or something like that? Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's trying to like or Doctor, or like Alucard, I can't remember how it's said, but it's like an obvious anagram of Dracula. Right. And he's sitting there like, for what, for no reason, just like reassembling the letters of this like single um, thing written on a whiteboard next to the telephone about this doctor falling. Mm-hmm. And from that, gleans that Dracula is back and they have to stop him. Yes. With no other clues, yes. like in existence. Mm-hmm. So, I... I think it's just really funny because when I was a little kid, like I remember thinking, like, "Oh man, it is Dracula!" Oh. Right. And maybe I was an idiot as a little kid. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like little things like that, I think are really funny. Um, yeah. The practical effects in this movie kind of veer between two extremes. Like again, the Wolfman is um, very, very stiff and is obviously like a person wearing a mask. Um, but the creature from the Black Lagoon is fantastic. Um, I love the look of the mummy. I like the look of the Frankenstein monster. Um, I think that this is a really good Dracula in terms of like the presentation and the accent and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously the kids have to find the virgin to recite the um, the mantra to get rid of them. And the one guy's older sister, she's been messing around with like Jimmy from whatever the basketball team. So she's not a virgin. So they end up using the little girl and whatever. 
they saved the day. But um, aside from like some problematic language, just because of the time period, or um, there's certain like um sexual slurs that are used uh, in this movie that mm-hmm. you would never hear in a movie today from like a protagonist at least, right? Um, and just kind of like the creepy like voyeuristic teens like spying on the naked girl next door and kind of the over sexualization i think maybe of the idea of the girl next door as well considering it's the one guy's sister um beyond that like it's it's just kind of a charming um traditional you know like preteen, early teen movie that you would rent on a saturday and a lot of people did like this movie was super popular Mm -hmm. in my friend group when i was a kid um imminently quotable i mean i think probably the the most quotable yes, line mm-hmm. is the wolfman's got nards mm-hmm. um from when they kick the wolfman in the nards right um but yeah i don't know just a really fun movie um very much a throwback to like the classic you know kind of universal almost like a modern update of something like the laurel and hardy meet the wolfman style um you know saturday serial type movies um but yeah i don't know i enjoy it yeah i would have never watched this movie again i'll be honest even though i watched it many times as a child and when i say child i'm talking definitely like preteen. i think like i was like after it came out on video like and i guess probably like hbo and showtime and stuff like i probably watched it a bunch like in like 88 89 like maybe even 90 but um so I've seen this movie a lot and it's one of those kind of things I never thought to like revisit necessarily, but, and I wouldn't have unless you put it on here. And I'm really glad that I did. It like put me back into a time, you know, I, I know you make, you all make fun of me all the time for like not feeling any kind of nostalgia, but like this actually like was really nostalgic for me. Um, of watching this again and getting those feelings back from like being a child, like you said, like, you know, being involved in that adventure with like these other kids in this movie, seeing people of similar age to yourself, um, kind of at the oh, time, yeah. like doing these things and like, you know, being clever of ways to beat like, you know, all of the, um, the monsters and stuff like that. Um, watching it as an adult though, like I can really appreciate the monster design of it. I think it's, uh, you know, like the design of the monsters. I think that's really cool. I think there's like really good performances from these child actors overall, like for what the movie is. Um, none of them are annoying. None of them are like, you know, like, um, uh, poor man's James Woods, um, Steven matched. Uh, he, um, I really like him as the dad. Um, in this, oh, and yeah. I really like the stuff with the father and son, um, in it. Um, and I really like the stuff with the parents in it too, like very 80s, um, in the sense of like this, like kind of marriage on the precipice type thing, you know. Um, For sure, because uh, and... he's a cop and you knew what you were getting when right. you married him, right? Right. Um, and the mother played by uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, who is um all over the eighties. Like everybody knows her from like this one of the reporters in Die Hard, and she's like the therapist, uh, psychiatrist in Lethal Weapon movies. So it's like well known. Um, like as this like bit character actor. Uh, she's married to Robert Schmeckus, so um, has been for a long time. But 
uh yeah really solid performances i i i laughed a bunch um but you know the the thing that sticks with me more than anything is that idea of like the father and sons like like the idea of going to the movies or whatever and like the sons like sitting up at the drive like watching the drive in on his roof with the binoculars and the father like brings food up um and sits up with him on the roof and something like that is um, yeah. just such an 80s concept um and it's uh it's just really refreshing to watch that um like you said there's like some of those like smaller things of the time period that uh gladly get rid of but um overall though it still was um you know even like watching the girl like across the street like it's such a like an 80s thing like i know it's not like pc like you know or like good to do like because of the objectification aspect of it but like again it sends me back to a time when you didn't know any better um because you're a child and that's just like what was in the movies so even seeing that, like, you know, um, was, like, it's not refreshing, but it's like, you know, it's like you're going home again to some degree to these movies of a different time um, that don't exist any longer. Yeah, I mean, um, if only there was a word to describe that feeling. I used it already. Mm, used it again. Let me hear you say Nope. It. Nope. You missed it. You missed it because you're not listening. Cause you I am listening. Listen. You never listen. You never listen to me. Um, so I'm not saying it again. I'm fixing um, I admitted to I admitted to it like in basically the like the topic sentence of when I started talking. So you're not getting it. Oh, I heard you say it. I want you to say it now. You're what? Descri- you're describing the what feeling. is that power move? Say what the feeling is because you always deny that you feel this. You say I you don't don't, feel no, this then you weren't listening. I already said that you all accused me of not feeling. No, and I'm accusing you now of not feeling I'm, it. Yeah, I'm proving your point. And I want you to say that you feel it. Say I feel it. I feel it. Say it. Say I feel nostalgia. I feel nostalgia. Yeah, leave yeah, me alone. Yeah, you bought a toy at a toy convention too, from your childhood. Oh, I was hoping you would not. None of you would remember that I said that a year more than a year ago. Yeah, but then you bought it. I was there with you when it happened. Well, because I, I can't like back. Uh, right. Yeah. Can't back see, out. Now you got to have a whole collection. No. no. Mm. The look, the look on Brandy's face when she saw that I bought an action figure was um. Tell her, tell her you read some Star Trek books because <laughs> that's what adults do. Um, she doesn't read Star Trek books. She just watches just, the series eighteen right, times over and over, and, over <laughs> and has a whole Christmas tree dedicated to Star Trek. Mm. <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> um. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I yeah, don't know. I do too. Uh, it is really fun to watch again. It, it uh, you know, the, the one thing that I find funny, and this is like just an aside, you mentioned the sitting on the roof. Um, mm-hmm. Really reminds me of uh, the Explorers. Yes. Um, yep. with the walkie-talkies and stuff. Yep. This movie suffers from unrealistic giant treehouse syndrome, mm-hmm. where it's like these '80s movies have these massive structures based in a tree mm-hmm. they're basically like multi-level homes that you're supposed to believe that like a kid and his dad like just threw together in the backyard right right so i yeah. mean that's some that's some goony shit right there too yeah yeah but i don't know whatever they're fun that's a fun part of like i think the the appeal of like the 80s mm-hmm. um I, don't, I mean i guess that 
I think they're different now, but there still is like the preteen movie, but it's about like people forming a band and becoming super famous on the internet. Like it's not about you know right. It's about them using their cell phones to record themselves in right. a movie, right? Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's not about like these like necessarily like fun like adventures like you know um fighting mobsters, you know, to find a hidden treasure or right. you know stuff like that. Like so much it feels like you know. Yeah. Uh, could be maybe i'm just missing them um it feels like they're all like the like either like what you just said or like the fucking buddies movies that you covered on the spin chagrin like last year um it's like stuff like that for kids like and not anything involving actual kids themselves so much like going on adventures uh all right so um tonally um way different here uh neil jordan's the butcher boy uh why'd you want to talk about this so much um so really good book that this is based on Mm -hmm. um excellent film adaptation uh jordan bought the rights to this movie when he was making um interview Mm -hmm. and kind of held on to him for whatever that was like the few years years. and then made it a first opportunity Mm -hmm. um I think this is one of the most heartbreaking coming of age stories hmm. um ever recorded. And particularly because the main character is so like comes off at first as like this really kind of grotesque like bully almost, but in reality is just kind of this eternal optimist who's always trying to make sense of his awful life and the terrible things that keep happening to him Yeah, through his imagination and through his like dogged loyalty to the people that he cares about. Um, but who also harbors just an incredibly like explosive amount of violence in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's an interesting look at, you know, maybe it's like unique to Ireland at the time. So it's set in well, like the forties, I guess, fifties. 1950s, I suppose, because they all have color televisions. Yeah, maybe uh, 60s. 60s. It's yeah, 60s. 60s. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're following uh the Amon Owens character, uh, Francie Brady, um, and for the majority of the movie, his friend, um, Joe Purcell, who's his best friend. Um, early on, like they, um dress up like Indians, you know, paint their faces, go on the war path, play cowboys, run around in the woods. Um, they're continuously harassing a young um, kid that's kind of portrayed as being a know-it-all, but seems like quiet and intelligent, um, Philip Nugent, um, and by default harassing his mother, Mrs. Nugent, yeah. or the Nuge, as um, Francie calls her. Um, Francie's mother suffers from possibly like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, maybe, but definitely some kind of like um, severe mental health um, disease. Uh, Francie stops her from trying to kill herself and sort of like rationalizes it. Um, she has to go away to a sanitarium. Um, his father, played by Stephen Ray, is a drunk and is abusive. Um, just a terrible life this kid has. Um, yeah. So, at one point, 
Um, he, let me think. I mean, I just watched this movie today. I just, I remember like the, there's scenes that stick out, but I can't. Anyway, he ends up like going away for a while and, um, Nugent ends up like making friends with, or, um, oh, fuck. Joe He's... ends up making friends with Philip Nugent. Philip Nugent, right. Yes. Um, and then when Frankie comes back, like Joe is a little more distant, um, which causes Frankie to, um, break into the Nugent household and destroy all of the cakes and then take a massive shit on the floor, <laughs> which gets him sent to a, um, reformatory, like a, a religious reformatory, mm-hmm. um, where he begins to see, uh, the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. in, his dead mother's um kind of in not i mean senate o'connor but like right sort of like projecting like his dead mother into like this religious figure right who um has a foul mouth because that's Mm -hmm. all really frankie knows but who's basically like a positive influence on him um he gets molested by a priest uh because of this that he also rationalizes away um when he eventually escapes and comes back home um Joe is completely distant to him. Um, Mrs. Nugent keeps having her brothers like beat uh, Francie up. Um, and in the end, like, I don't know. It's just, there's a bunch of terrible things that happen. Yeah. This poor kid. Um, and it's always sort of his own imagination. That's kind of like pushing those things <laughs> away and they don't, don't do it in a fanciful way in the sense of like, um, Aside from like his visions of the the Virgin Mary, he's not like seeing things. It's not they don't animate or anything, um, because in a lot of ways it sort of reminds me of, uh, what's that guy's name? The Be Kind Rewind and the Science of Sleep director. Um, I don't you know see Be Kind Rewind. Um, is that Gondry? Yeah, yeah. What you're talking about? Yeah, yeah okay. Michael Gondry. Yeah. The whimsy, like the dark whimsy is kind of the same as him, but it's just everything is you're listening to it through Frankie's perspective or Francie's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the movie, when he, he kind of feels like he's he's lost Joe, that it's um, or Joe's rejecting him because he's gone to find Joe at the boarding school he's at and Joe like rejects him and sends him away. And he comes back and um, murders uh, Mrs. Nugent with like a um, pneumatic gun that they used to kill pigs. Right. Um, it's really like heartbreaking, you know, because it is, yeah. it's uh, a kid that's been abandoned and let down by like every aspect of his family and society um, and really never had a chance to be anything but, you know, what he was. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really enjoy about, or I find really fascinating about this movie is that both um, uh, Francie and Joe were not actors before they were cast in this film. They were just kind of found um, by the casting agent when she was like visiting a relative in a small town in, in Ireland. Um, and then they were cast in the movie. Um, I think particularly uh, the kid that plays um, Francie, uh, Eamon, I can't remember his last name, Eamon Jones or something owens yeah Eamon owens um mm-hmm. is amazing in that role yeah um he's got like this almost like little rascals-esque like cocksure 
um snideness to him but mm-hmm. at the same time like the simmering violence and also this incredible like vulnerability i mean it's just it's a very like nuanced character in a lot of ways for like a child to play and he does a really great job yeah um i don't know i mean i think it's a. Uh... it is it's uh just a quick aside i i did find it really funny that um when i was trying to see if he still acted whatsoever uh i did see that there's a irish television show called love hate about like um somebody getting out of um prison and going back to like their old gang and stuff like that and he plays a character in it called francie um which is um i guess a little probably joke in some ways um but he doesn't really do much acting anymore unfortunately like he he had a series of films that he was kind of featured in for about five years like following this like six years and then um still acts but like doesn't really like get a lot of work it seems um which is unfortunate but um incredible child actor here like really really compelling no cast is i mean stephen ray um i mean he's just the guy that was always doing really good stuff but um fiona shaw most people would probably know her from uh recently andor um playing the mother figure um, oh yeah Uh and um also uh as uh Oh, like the head of like the unit in Killing Eve. Um, she became very popular for in the past like five years or so, um, as well. But um, really a phenomenal actress. Um, and really like nails like just how despicable this um character is in this movie. Yeah, like, really well. Um, Miss Nugent. Ms. Nugent. Here's my question: Is she? I mean, okay, so. She does become despicable yes, in the sense yes. that she mm-hmm. sends her adult siblings to like beat a child. Sure. Isn't she kind of like I, I don't know that I find her to be despicable up until that point. Like I think she's just a single mother, you know, trying to protect her son from bullies and her son's this like small bright you know weakling that can't really defend himself and judgmental and closed-minded before she becomes despicable yeah <laughs> i mean look let's not cast any aspersions here because there's plenty of people in the area we live in where if you saw them out of context of a film like you'll be like oh what scumbags, you know, like mm-hmm. if you if if you knew Francie in real life when you were a kid, you would have hated Francie. You wouldn't have like had sympathy for him or empathy. You would have judged him. Sure. With his alcoholic father and, you know, crazy mom. Mm. <laughs> yep. Where that one. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant movie. I think it's a movie that's generally it's a good movie um forgotten like i never really hear anybody talk about it um sure i can't remember if i've never heard of it until you i can't remember if i saw it in the theater and then read the book or if i had read the book and that's what made me want to see it in the theater but those two things were pretty closely linked to each other um i was super into like irish whatever everything in the mid 90s 
um, film, music, television, books. Like I was listening to the Pogues and reading fucking Brendan Bayhen. Um, right, right. So Butcher Boy was like super appealing to me. Um, yeah. But I think it still stands up. I think it's a really powerful movie. It does. Again, I think it's a shame that it's not something that's more widely discussed or appreciated. Um, and it's kind of, it was kind of a really fun juxtaposition to watch Monster Squad and then watch this because I really, I think in a lot of ways, there's a lot of similarities. They're very surface level, but between, you know, the ideas of the kids in the Monster Squad and kind of the ideas of, um, you know, Francie, mm-hmm. um, it's just, uh, you know, whatever it's the <sighs> the opposite sides of the house thing you know like one is becomes this fanciful like adventure movie and the other one's this horrific yeah what's the you know, Cap- what's the capote thing like one goes yeah, out the front door yeah, and one he, goes out the back yeah i i walked out the front door and he walked yeah, out the back right. but they were the same house mm-hmm. growing up so yeah, yeah. um yeah, no, this was a this was a really solid movie. Um, come, we've talked about it so much over five, you know, six years or whatever on the podcast, like about <clears throat> me not liking coming of age stories, and and I just don't like. Um, I find most of them like pretty hackneyed and and just dull. Um, it's a shame that it has to like take uh something like this. Um, that's just really horrific. Uh, yeah. ultimately, like to kind of stand out from that uh but at the same time like you know the the filmmaking in this is really strong performances are really strong and um i don't know maybe it's because i think that it's like uh it's my anti-nostalgia it's like it's it's very true it feels very true to life um to me um in its horrific horrificness um so yeah, I I really liked it. I can't say I like enjoyed watching it because it is so like terrible. Um, like watching what happens to to this kid. Um, and then as he turns into Stephen Ray as an adult in the last five minutes, um, being released, um, and basically becoming like looking like his father and stuff like that. That's really like hard to kind of like see as well in some ways. So that's actually a change from the book, and like I understand. Mm. the reasoning behind the change but in the book um francie stays in jail and attempts to create recreate his friendship with joe through like another inmate okay um but i understand that like you don't want to add another like 40 minutes to the movie right right right, which is what would happen because right i'm pretty sure the death of um the nuge happens like two-thirds of the way through the book and then there's still a lot of it left Mm. let me tell you though the true villain of this movie mm-hmm. is fucking joe joe is the worst because yeah he's all about like bullying old um philip nugent like when it serves his purpose and when francie is the big man about town mm-hmm. but as soon as like francie goes away like he just gravitates to the next person and he goes from the you know the plucky whatever like free spirit adventure of hanging out with um francie to like the wealthy environment of the nugents and you know being able to take advantage of like everything that that entails so i don't know he's right. a prick man fucking yes. he's the reason all that stuff happens sure yeah no agreed but yeah it's um 
solid movie if you can handle it. Uh, I I've never watched it. What is that? Um, I was waiting for you to put it on podcast to make Coraline. Is that? Yeah. What about Coraline? Um, that's another kind of like horrific childhood story, though, right? Uh, it's more fanciful than this. Oh, okay. Um, which kind of lessens the? I mean, it's stop motion mm. animation number one, so gotcha. It's automatically like it's 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 pretty dark. Yeah, that's that's what I always heard. Like, if the best dark coming of age fantasy to me is um Clive Barker's The Thief of Always. Um, have you ever read that book? No. You've told so, me about it, and I've heard Colbert talk about it like fifteen years ago or whatever. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing. It's 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 maybe my favorite like young adult book, I would say, because that's how Barker writes it. I mean, it's not written; it's written for adults, but it's written in a way that is digestible by teens. Um, about a kid. It's I I kind of think that Gaiman stole the idea for Coraline. Um, but it's about a kid that kind of gets like runs away from his home because he's unhappy and ends up in this place where this sort of like nebulous nefarious like all-powerful being that controls the entirety of this world like steals the energy and the youth from children to keep himself alive forever Mm -hmm. um it's i don't know maybe 130 pages it's like an afternoon read um, both in terms of length and the fact that it's just one of those easily digestible books, but um, super engaging, really well written. I mean, I love Barker um, in most of his stuff. Uh, and when you take the purple prose of like a lot of his books of blood esque stuff out, um, you find a guy that can tell a really amazing story. Um, so if you ever have the chance to read it, Thief of Always is um pretty amazing book. Yeah. Bonus, bonus pitch. <laughs> where are you at clive barker uh, let me direct the next hell blade hellraiser mm. be better than the shit you got hulu doing oh jesus what a uh i'm assuming somehow that'll get brought up someday but oh jesus um oh oh never mind um that's a good idea though um <clears throat> that was that, that would fulfill your 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 goal from like three years ago or four years ago or something like that. Um, <clears throat> I think I've already fulfilled all my goals from four years ago. Yeah? Yeah, I'm all gold up. You Did you watch every single Hellraiser movie? Yeah, I've seen them all at this point. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, um, I didn't know you were watching those like really obscure when like the the nobody like hard. Oh, yeah. Those are, the, those are the ones that are the hardest to get through, man. Those mm-hmm. are awful. Gotcha. God, if you got like fucking David Boreanaz or something hanging out in a Hellraiser movie, you ain't getting nothing good out of it. <laughs> oh, or, and it's not Boreanaz. Who is it? I don't know. Why are you? There, there's a bunch. Why don't you tell me. I can't remember. <laughs> I there's always a, there's always one or two scenes in every one of those low budget Hellraisers where you're like, yeah, okay, this is fine, but right. for the most part, they're just terrible. Is this like Blood Raider or Hellraiser? Like a like nine like. What, Blood Fiesta or something oh, like I that? that like, they all have terrible Orianos or something? They're all in, like, one of them's in space. That was the best. <laughs> You'd love a thing in space. I do. I really do. <laughs> if, there's a, love... if, there's a, if there's a franchise with more than six movies and one of them ends up going into space, Frank loves it. <clears throat> That's my claim. 
It might be true. Yeah. I'm a pretty big fan of Jason X. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, all, I, all I got to say about anything ever. Yeah. <laughs> or at least a few weeks, right? Well, at least um, on Monday when we do the spin chagrin. Do you know? I know what it I'm is. Trying, I'm trying to maintain. It. I'm trying to maintain kayfabe. I know. That's why I yeah. can't say what it is. The mysterious spin chagrin that you would have had to have listened to Monday's previous episode to know. Are you a true fan? Dum, dum, you don't dum. even. You don't even. You don't even know what you're talking about right now. You're talking crazy. Um, I know what the. I know what the fucking spin chagrin is for this week. Uh, for for you mean in in the past in the past. Yeah, yes. I got back. I got backstory from the future right now. Yes. Yeah. Don't think I didn't fucking add that to the list for next year. Um, I so, said that for the first time when I was really drunk one night. Yes. Um, I, was, I was telling someone at the bar story, and I had to like go back in time. <laughs> right. But then, like, I kept mixing up things that hadn't happened when I was telling the backstory. So it was back. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that'll that'll be on that wheel next year. Don't worry. Um, so that does it for Hodgepodge Halloween. Um, and we're gonna have a bonus episode. What? Yeah, you I don't, don't have know. any time to record that. Yeah, you don't. Um, I'm gonna tell you about it. You're gonna know, and you're gonna have time. <laughs> I mean, I I have no weekends available, so um, Sundays I got available. I guess. Um, what are you doing next Friday? Uh, next Friday I have plans. You don't have any plans. Yes, I do. Were you going to some fucking haunted hayride with somebody? Yeah, that's Saturday. Um. Anyway, happy Halloween, everybody, because this is being released on the twenty seventh. Um, God, I'll be gone. Thank God. Yes, I am gone. Have a, have a have a yes. You are gone right now. Um, have a, ha, I hope you're having a good trip because it's the 27th of October. Um, and we'll yeah. be back in a couple weeks. Um, Where am I? I'm in Ayutthaya. Ayutthaya right now. Okay. And yeah. what what what's happening? What where? What is what part? of the country is that the, uh it's near there it's near bangkok it's the original okay. capital of thailand all right that um when they got driven out by i can't remember who invaded um they got pushed to where bangkok is now and that's what became the capital okay um, so but is this you, where the old temples and stuff are by uh yeah a bunch of okay. old temples yeah it's like some of the most traditional food in thailand and they have a okay my wife loves animals so we're gonna go to a big zoo that's there mm. and she's gonna see some capybara Okay. She's um. She's what else they got there at the about. zoo? Have you been to that zoo yet? No, nah, no. Nah, I've okay. never been to Ayutthaya, so I'm kind of excited. Oh, okay. There's a whole bunch of firsts on this trip of places that we've never been. Nice. So I'm going to go to like four places I've never seen before, yeah. so I'm pretty stoked, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about a zoo? Be honest. Mm-hmm. I think zoos are traditionally pretty gross and depressing. Uh-huh. But I think a zoo that's like a really open zoo where the animals like truly really have freedom of movement is fine. Right. So we'll see what kind of zoo this is. Okay. Um. All right. So we will be back um in a couple weeks um from this podcast uh with a new episode, and then for the rest of the year we will also um a little different from previous years be wrapping up Frank's top five horrors of the two thousands with uh two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. 
Hmm. Uh, which will that list will feature um Frankenstein's monster Tom Noonan um in one of those movies. So um uh otherwise everybody have a good Halloween and thanks for listening. Deuces spooky deuces.